All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast that usually comes to you on Sundays. We told you we would have some scheduling conflicts throughout the course of the season. Uh, even though it was a light day yesterday, um, I've got a game Wednesday night in Miami, uh, UTEP at FIU. Uh, so make sure you check that one out. I'll be in the booth with John Schriffen. Looking forward to that one. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm in Charlotte now. It is 11.17 p.m. Had coaches meetings today and just kind of had to uh, had to push a few things back. Uh, driving to Memphis and then getting on a plane, coming to Charlotte. Um, couldn't get it all in. Uh, but we have gotten the film in. We've watched it. We've checked it out. And we're going to share it with you, give you an idea of what we saw and what we thought about it. We're in, I was in Oxford, Mississippi this weekend, in the booth actually with Tom Hart. Always fun working with Tom. I think he's the best play-by-play guy at ESPN. He does an amazing job. It was fun being up there with him. Miss Jordan, uh, Alyssa Lang on the crew, so we had fun. I uh, got to hit City Grocery Friday night, which obviously is incredible. Um, John Currents and the guys just do an amazing job at that place. Always love going to Oxford. Always love going there as well. Square was packed. Uh, it was a great crowd, great atmosphere. Had the drone show with the – you know, party in a sip and whatever. Uh, it was pretty cool to see that. But, they, you know, they did the stripe, the Vought. So that looked pretty cool. Like I said, the Grove was was hopping. It, it was it was a good atmosphere there. And Arkansas came ready to play. Um, had a good visit with Lane and, and Pete Golding, Charlie Weiss Jr. Uh, got to talk to Quinshawn Judkins. And it was pretty cool just kind of seeing where they are as a team, what they think about their team, what they think about – kind of what's going to happen down the road. Uh, Lane did tell us. He said, listen, we're worried about if things don't go really well offensively like they did last week against LSU, what's the mindset going to be of our team? Are, are we going to be a team that can deal with that? If we get a couple three and outs, are we going to be able to bounce back from that? Because last week it was pretty much touchdown, 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 and uh, at least a lot of first downs in between if it wasn't a touchdown. So, I think you saw a team that had you know a little bit of a hangover from last week. That was a long game. It was a lot of snaps. One thing, and I asked Lane about this, and he agreed, Ole Miss has got to start taking care of their guys on offense. Pete Golding's doing a good job playing a lot of guys, rolling some guys in, getting different guys reps, but uh, that's something that, that I think offensively they got to be careful with because Trey Harris gets dinged up in this game. Uh, he left, and I don't think came back in. Jackson Dart was a little bit dinged. Alyssa asked Lane about him at halftime, and he said, you guys figure it out, which I kind of took as, yeah, he's he's banged up, but we're not going to really talk about it. Um, with just all the guys they've had on the shelf and coming back in, and, you know, Priest Corn, they don't have a lot of other guys that get reps at tight end, and that's an important position in that offense. They just got to be careful with that. It's going to have to be monitored moving forward. Um, but nonetheless, it was, it was a cool weekend. It was fun to be there, be there for that game. Arkansas came ready to play. Um, I think Coach Pittman probably feeling a little bit of heat. Travis Williams was, was confident in what his guys were going to be able to do, how he was going to play it. He thought his D-line could be disruptive. Um, you know, thought Seven did a really nice job up front, getting into the backfield, doing some different things. Those linebackers were flying. I mean, 28 has been flying all year. He's a really fun player to watch. On that Arkansas defense, they had, you know, a couple of coverage issues. They got some Lane got some matchups that he liked, and Dart was able to hit him, but it wasn't as consistent through the air as you would have thought. Um, as always, though, you don't have to think about this. You know this. We're brought to you by Wickles Pickles each and every week. They are the title sponsor of the show. Wickedly delicious. Go to wicklespickles.com, use promo code CUBE, and you can save 15% off your entire order. If you don't have them at your local grocery store, where you need to pick them up if you do. We always appreciate Wickles Pickles being a sponsor of the show. Um, I think Arkansas came in with a little bit of a mat on. They feel like they've been in some games. 
They wanted to taste that, uh, taste what a W felt like again. I think the leadership, too, on that team is solid. K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders and some of those guys that, that just understand what it's like trying to help get that thing going again. And, you know, they made the switch on offensive line where, you know, you had your left guard go to center, you had your right tackle go to left guard, or your right guard go to center, your left guard went out to right tackle. I mean, it was, it was a mixed match. I mean, they're playing chess with those guys up front. And I didn't know how that was going to work out. And then Alyssa tells us that Pittman tells her at halftime they're going to switch it back to what it was coming into the game. Um, and I, I mean, I, I thought that was going to be a fiasco. Now, you only run the ball for 36 yards, 29 carries. That includes sacks. Uh, but what I saw from Arkansas was a team that had a lot of fight. I saw a team that played hard. And a team that's got some young guys that I think are going to be able to help you. Like Andrew Armstrong is, is a playmaker. Like he's a guy that can legitimately make plays. I thought Ty Washington at tight end did some really nice things. Um, I'm going to grab my chart so I can remember to tell you guys about a few things that I had written down. Jalen Braxton, corner, um, had a couple of really big plays in this game, which really good. So, I mean, I think when you're talking about younger guys doing some things for this team – you can see what they're building towards. And this is not necessarily the end of the road because KJ and Rocket might not be around forever. Um, but they go down 27-20. Dart, just 153 yards, a touchdown, no picks. Uh, Ashanti Seastrunk defensively did get a big pick. Um, had a tackle for loss, nine total tackles. Um, you know, they pick off KJ twice. He had two touchdowns, two picks. And I thought those were really the difference. Uh, I thought the turnovers were huge. And especially timely when, when Ole Miss needed that second one late in the game uh, because it looked for a second like Arkansas was about to take control, and, and they couldn't. Um, I will say this. I think Ulysses Bentley is going to really help this football team down the stretch. I mean, you could talk about him as, you know, once you get past Quinchon, Rocket, maybe Diggs at LSU, I mean, he might be in like that next tier of running backs in the SEC. Now, I don't think it's a super deep running back class. And we'll talk about one at Florida that I think needs a little bit more discussion here in a few minutes. But I mean, I think he's a guy that could really help this team down the stretch. Judkins, 18 for 65. It wasn't quite as a creative plan for Ole Miss. And they couldn't get the first downs to get the tempo going. And when the tempo can't go, the offense just isn't going to be the same. And Arkansas did a good job playing keep away early in that game. I mean, I think it was the second or third drive of the first half. I mean, it felt like it took an hour uh, in real time. So they did a good job of not letting them get into rhythm, not letting them really feel exactly how they wanted to do it. But I think Jackson Dart continues to prove just that he's a tough kid, man. Like, he is a kid that is, is willing to take a hit. He's willing to run the ball. He'll stand in the pocket and deliver a pass. Like, he's a guy that I was impressed with last week and then impressed against seeing him this week. I was impressed when we saw him for the Georgia Tech game. Um, so I think you're seeing that defensive line for Ole Miss start to grow. Isaac Yuku, a couple pressures late. He looked pretty good. The secondary is the secondary. It's going to take a while to get it where they want to. you got a couple of, of old corners playing safety, and it's a little bit new to some of the guys. It's obviously a different defense with Wesley Neighbors and Pete Golding. But they're coming around. I think they're growing a little bit. And, and that's, that's an offense that's led by guys played a ton of football and has a ton of talent, has been throwing the ball really well this year. And they kind of neutralized him just a little bit. So the other part of being in Oxford, it was cool to see uh, Nick and the guys over there, Blue Delta Jeans. I stopped by and, uh, and talked to them for a little bit. You know, Blue Delta Jeans, uh, the most comfortable denim you'll ever put on your body. Uh, custom made. I went and had to get a pair done over there. And uh, Nick Weaver and the guys met me at the shop. 
Went by there on Friday afternoon, took good care of me, got me measured up, got a new pair coming, uh, all thanks to uh, Nick and the guys at Blue Delta Jeans. If you want a pair, bluedeltajeans.com. You can go grab a gift certificate with the holidays around the corner. It's a great gift idea. And I promise you, I'll have them on Read and React tomorrow night, SEC Network, with Roman Harper. You'll see me in a pair of Blue Deltas, like every week. That's what I wear. It's, like, it's my go-to now. So uh, see what they can do for you. See if they can help you out. If you're in Oxford, stop by and... If not, just go to BlueDeltaJeans.com and see what they can do for you. Uh, One thing that I did want to share quickly uh, about Ole Miss is very rarely in college football do we see sort of the all-encompassing guy anymore. And and this is a little bit away from our film review and our film study, but I did tell you that I was going to share things from the weekends where I am sometimes. It's just a little bit different. I wanted to get this story in the game, and I didn't. And I don't know if I'll get Ole Miss again, so I'm just going to share it now. Um, you know, we, we're with the transfer portal and with NIL and guys chasing dollars. And I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, you know, we're kind of missing the, um, you know, just like the, the program guys. The program means everything to me, guys. The, you know, grew up wearing the jersey and everything. And I wanted to just take a second to talk about Eli Acker, the, the reserve offensive lineman for Ole Miss. He's played some meaningful snaps this year. He's played a lot of meaningful snaps in his career. And, you know, he's a guy that comes off the bench. He can service all three inside positions. He's a guy that they probably need to start using more of, like I said earlier, to spread some of those reps around. Uh, but I, I, I knew that I wanted to kind of talk about him a little bit because Eli, Eli lost his dad to a heart attack at 48, like a couple of weeks before he enrolled at Ole Miss. And I, I can't fathom someone who helped you in the recruiting process, who coached you as a little kid who took you to Ole Miss games when you were growing up. A guy played quarterback at Oxford High School. His dad, John, played quarterback at Oxford High School, played at Mississippi College. Um, uh, his mom, Elise, told me, he's like, Eli, she said, Eli was going to Ole Miss games before he was born. And, you know, he's he's a guy that, that Ole Miss means everything to, and his teammates call him Mr. Ole Miss. And, you know, I think when we see guys, and I'm not pointing a finger at these kids because you can do whatever you want. I, I don't really care. But I do think we talk so much and obsess so much about the one side of it with the portal that sometimes when we find these other stories, we need to celebrate them at the same time. But when you see a kid that played quarterback at Auburn and wearing the same number as his dad, who also played quarterback there, and same name on the back of the jersey at the same position, and he feels like he needs to leave, or when you see Bear Bryant's grandson feel like he needs to leave Alabama – Regardless of everything, and I'm not saying either one of those moves were incorrect or wrong, or I'm not looking down on them, but I'm just, you, you, I think that paints the picture of how far we're getting away from, hey, I wanted to go to school there because of all of it, because of what it is and what it means to me. And I just think Eli Acker is one of those guys. Uh, My understanding is this role that he's taken, he's not complaining about it. Uh, You see him rooting on his teammates on the sideline. He's had a great attitude about it. Uh, he's keeping a smile on his face. He's going in there and working his ass off and trying to do good things. And maybe part of it, too, is I can sympathize to that a little bit. You know, I, was, I started for two years, and then I, was, I had a little disagreement with my position coach, and I was the six-string center going into my senior year. And just to clarify, we didn't have six centers, not even close. I'm not even sure we had three. And I didn't start until the Iron Bowl. and didn't. I started the Iron Bowl, the SEC Championship game, and the Citrus Bowl, and the night before the Citrus Bowl – Tommy Tuberville calls out permanent captains that were voted on by our teammates, and I was one of them. And it's still one of the coolest moments of my life, period, because I never thought that that would happen. I didn't – you don't think other people are noticing those things. You're just kind of you're, – you're, you're worried about yourself. You're worried about trying to do well and, and make sure everything is right. 
And then all of a sudden, when you do realize that some people saw it, it's it just means that much more to you. And I kind of feel like Eli's going through some similar things right now. But to lose, and, and I talked to his mom, Elise, and hearing her talk about the relationship he had with his dad, I mean, coached him in, in Little League, coached him in AAU basketball with, you know, him and Luke Altmeyer's dad, you know, coached those kids growing up. And then to also hear like that community, how it's come together, his his great grandfather, her father, her grandfather, by the way, was on the 1947 uh, SEC championship team. Um, so it just old mistress runs in that family's blood. And the fact that he has stayed there and stuck it out and is doing everything he can to help the team, the program, I think it's really cool. And I just wanted to take a minute to celebrate it here. And um, I struggled to tell his mom this. And I'm going to try to say it again now before we get into it. His sister, um, Mary, and Anna is his twin. Mary, I think, lives in New York. She flew in for the game. They were there. Um, But I talked to Jake Thornton, who was his offensive line coach last year and a few years before that. And I was just like, tell me something about some of these guys that I might not know. You know, like, give me some cool stuff. And he's like, oh, man, Eli. And he tells me how he can place, you know, both guards and center and this and that and tells me about his dad and, uh, great family and, you know, all this. And um, he said, Cole, I'll just leave you with this, man. There's not a lot I can say. He said, if my boys grow up to be like Eli Acker one day, I'll be a proud father. And it was not easy to tell his mom that, but I wanted her to hear that, and so I did. And um, I wanted to share that during the game. Um, we, we, we're not going to force it in. I wish we would have. I wish we could have. Not would have, could have. I wish there would have been the opportunity would have presented itself for us to. Um, but it, it didn't, and that's okay. Like you can't make you can't make things like that happen for television. It's just that the game has to take you into that. And so the game, you follow the game. You don't direct the game in for things like that. And so we weren't able to do it, but I have a little bit of a platform here. Um that I wanted to share it with and just kind of share that story with you. And I'm very appreciative that Elise spent some time on the phone with me, uh, sharing some of her story, her husband's story, her children's story. And I mean, he was, I said, is he named after Eli Manning? And she kind of laughed and she said, we wanted to, we liked the name Eli, but Eli Manning was playing well at the time. And so we decided to go with Elijah, but we were definitely going to call him Eli and she said, he used to run around the Grove in his Eli Manning jersey, and we had a picture ready to go that was a little number 10, and, you know, like the little Hutch kid uniform that they have. And she's like, he'd be climbing the trees in the Grove when he was, you know, five, six years old. And mainly because we're getting so far away from that, when I get a chance to celebrate that, I want to do that. And so that's why I wanted to do that here on this show. So I'm sure some of you are going to be pissed off that we got away from the film and we got away from your team. And we got away from the review. Sorry. I, just, I wanted to get that one out. Uh, 27-20, Ole Miss gets to 5-1. and one. The other part about this team is, let's think about where we were two weeks ago. You lose to Alabama, you don't look great. Here comes LSU, who no one can stop. And then you had Arkansas after that. So it was most likely going to be back-to-back losses with a team coming to town that always presents you with a crazy game, it feels like. And you'd probably be in a dogfight to avoid losing three in a row. Now you're five and one heading to the middle of October. It's a pretty good spot for Lane Kiffin and company to be in. Still need some help. Alabama's going to have to lose twice, which I don't think that takes place, but in a pretty good spot. 
if you're Lane Kiffin right now. Remember, if you go back and watch the matchup episode we did before the season, one that I said I was most intrigued with could be the Ole Miss offense against the Georgia defense. And Liam Cohen did a little bit of this in this game. A lot of the misdirection stuff, a lot of the movement stuff, you know, the quick throws, the screen game, you know, some of the corner routes, understanding how that coverage works, getting safeties running a little bit. And if Ole Miss is healthy, because the reason that I've kind of downplayed it was I didn't think they had the depth and I thought they'd be beat up. Well, now that's almost worked in reverse. They were beat up early and they're kind of getting some guys back. So not picking an upset, just saying there are pieces of it that could be very interesting. Uh, Georgia does handle Kentucky. Good Lord, 51 to 13. Um, when you watch the film, it didn't look this bad. I'll say that. Like, it, it did not look like that. I would not have guessed that was the score just watching the film. Doesn't mean Georgia didn't make plays. Doesn't mean Georgia didn't play great. Doesn't mean Georgia wasn't dominant. They were. It just didn't look that bad. 608 yards for this Georgia football team. 173 yards rushing. Kentucky rushes for 55. Two of 11 on third down for Kentucky. Like it just did. There was there wasn't much of anything. Um, but I did like the plan. There were throws that were there. Devin Leary missed a lot of them. Some of those misses were flat egregious. I don't know another way to describe it. And I've got Kentucky this weekend with Tom and Jordan, and I'm I'm very anxious to hear what Coach Stoops and what Liam Cohen say about just kind of where he is. This is this guy was one of the best quarterbacks in the portal. I mean, two years ago he was maybe a top five quarterback in all of college football. It's in there. How do they unlock it? How do they get it out? Um, now that being said, there were some pressures that were missed. Now there were some there were some plays that Georgia defenders just won. Like ninety seven flashed a little bit, thirteen flashed some, fifty two flashed a little bit up front for that Georgia D line, and then there were pressures that just were weren't, weren't picked up. That's an important piece of this too that I want you guys to remember. Sometimes you get beat. Sometimes you get schemed up. Now, you're technically getting beat either way. As a unit, you're getting beat. But an individual loss is, one, much more difficult to overcome yourself, but also much more difficult to repair, in my opinion. Like, if, I got, if, if a defensive line gets a beat on me and they know I can't stop a bull rush, we can go work on... We can go work on my crow hops and we can go work on, you know, my hand placement and all kind of stuff. Like it's it, it's going to be a while before we can get that right. If we miss a three man game on the outside, we can probably repair that pretty quick. I just need to see it more. Just show it to me over and over and over again. And depending on what portion of my brain is a visual learner and is a kinesthetic learner, like we can get that at some point. Like it's going to happen. Um, because again, the visual portion of that that goes into the kinesthetic portion is you can draw it on the board and I might not know what's happening or I feel like I've got it. Then you run it and I have no idea how that happened. So I need to see it and feel it multiple times. Well, I can feel a bull rush a hundred times and know it's kicking my ass and there's might not be a lot I can do about it. And we're going to talk about that in the Alabama game too. It's why it's an important lesson for this show. But a couple of times Georgia schemed them up and they brought pressures that, Either the back went the wrong direction or they tripped up on each other or somebody didn't switch something off and they didn't pick it up, which is fine. It's, a win. it's still a win for Georgia, but it's just not a guard getting run over or a tackle getting smoked upfield. There were a few of those, not as many as I thought. And I thought the Kentucky offensive line collectively held up better than I thought they would. And because of that, there, there were opportunities 
for Devin Leary to be in the pocket and find some things downfield. There were drops, plain and simple. Some of them were tough catches. Some of them weren't. But that receiving group's got to help him out. He has to help them out. The offensive line has to help him out. He has to help the offensive line out along with the running backs of understanding where pressure's coming from, who's accounted for, who's not, and can we stay in this protection. So it really is collective. There's a lot of people they're going to focus on him sailing four or five balls in that game and think, offense can't get it figured out because this kid's lost. It's a part of it, but there are some other parts of it too. And as we told you last week, those Florida edge defenders, the way they played the gap scheme runs, counter and power specifically, Georgia wasn't going to do that. There wasn't going to be any second guessing out in the overhang spots of how to play it and waiting on it. It was going to be attacked, and it was. You got guys like 32 that sometimes they attack it a little too hard, and it opens up more space on the outside because that linebacker doesn't come fill, and all of a sudden you got some space to run in. That happened a couple of times. Sorry, it's not a huge deal. But also I think that when you just look at exactly what was happening and how it was happening, how Liam Cohen drew up some of the routes, some of the screen game, the movement, the personnel groupings, the formations, they had opportunities. Now, I don't know if the Kentucky defense was going to get enough stops because I thought Carson Beck looked great. Uh, 28 to 35, 389, four touchdowns and a pick. The pick was kind of bad. I mean, it sailed on him a little bit, but he may have been trying to force it. He, he had a good day. He had a really good day. And all of those questions that we talked about last week should be answered. I didn't think the Georgia offensive line was great. I thought left guard played a little bit better. I thought the center was fantastic until he got dinged up. Uh, Van Pran had a really nice game. The tackles are still a little bit too high. Like their pad level is just too high. And I, I just, to me, that automatically makes me feel like you're kind of tiptoeing through things. Because if you don't have leverage and you're, you're not coming out of your stance and, and have that ability to explode and shoot your hands and shoot your hips, you're, just, you're never going to look like you're playing great football to me. Those guys have got to start bending their knees and, and finding a way to, to get down in their stance a little bit better and come off the ball the right way. Um, I thought the tight ends had a great game, not just Brock Bowers catching passes. He was incredible. I think he's the best player in college football. Um, but I also thought Bobo did a nice job moving him around and finding matchups for him. And sometimes it's not moving him. Like on his one touchdown pass on the right seam, you see the motion come across, it gets the safety over, and then there's your matchup, and then you take it. Now, if you're the Kentucky defense, like you can't lose him. 19's the guy that you have to know where he is. Like we can't, we can't not know where 19 is. Same thing with the Missouri defense. Like let's not turn number eight loose. He's the one guy that can do just about whatever he wants. He doesn't need to be running around without a defender within 15 yards of him. That's unacceptable. Uh, but I thought the tight ends had a good game. I thought Bobo had a good game plan. Uh, he mixed and matched the run a little bit. Um, I do want to see Carson Beck protect himself. He, I, don't think, I don't feel like he's a very confident runner, so just go ahead and get down. Some of these quarterbacks, man, like Max Johnson, Carson Beck, uh, Jaden Daniels, like if you're not going to run over or through someone, just get down. Jaden Daniels has that ability to shake you or he, he hurdled a guy and a little quarterback power and he hurdles him and goes for a lot more yards. But there's a lot of times that he just slows down before the defender gets there and he's almost making it easier for them to get a good shot on him. It's I, I don't understand that part. But I want to see quarterbacks protect themselves because those guys that we mentioned, they mean a lot to their football teams. Uh, and Beck would be one of those guys. 12 players caught a pass for this offense. Um 
five different players caught a touchdown. You saw a lot of players get snaps. Uh, that second offense, pretty much all of it. I mean, they, they, they got about a full quarter of action. That's good quality reps for that group. Um, I thought Deion Walker was pretty disruptive up front. Eight was disruptive up front. Trevin Wallace was flying around. Um, some of the guys that were dinged for, for Kentucky, I think Marquise Cox came back in. Alex Safari looked like he got banged up. I haven't seen an update on that injury. He's meant a lot to that team this year. They did not tackle on the perimeter as well as they have been all year. Now you're dealing with some different guys, different level dudes, but that was a staple of that Brad White defense coming into this game, and they just didn't do enough of it and didn't do it as well as they had been. Um, but I thought they found a way to do some things up front to be problematic, and it almost just felt like when they did get to Carson Beck, it was a second or two too late. And there were a couple of guys that were wide open. And that just that not against that team, those things can't happen. Um, so Georgia 51, Kentucky 13, uh, Georgia 6 and 0, Kentucky 5 and 1. Alabama gets Texas AM 26 to 20. Whew, this one was good. Uh, there's a lot that I want to talk about with this game. First, I want to tell you guys about game time. GameTime.co. It's GameTime.co. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Killer last-minute deals in all prices. You get views from your seat and the best price guarantee. GameTime takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Listen, I've gone and checked this out. It's fantastic because it's got everything. It's not just sports. It's not just movies. Uh, it's not just plays. It's all of it. Last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. You get to see the, the view from the seat in your venue. Like you click on it and it shows you exactly what it's going to look like. Lowest price guarantee. It even has cancellation protection uh, if that event were to get canceled. Job loss protection as well. So they're going to look after you when you go spend your hard-earned money on these tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See that view from your seat. All in prices show your total upfront, so you know what you're going to get a great deal. But those hit without any hidden fees, they're going to show up after the fact. Buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute tickets. All right, so here's what you need to do right now: take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account. Use code CUBE, C-U-B-E. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code CUBE, get $20 off. That's right. Download Game Time today for last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Promo code CUBE, save 20 bucks. Baseball playoffs are here. College football is here. You're trying to get over to a Braves game. You want to go to an Auburn and Alabama game, whatever SEC game, and you're part of the country, whatever college football you're interested in. Got Kentucky, Missouri coming up this weekend. Texas A&M's at Tennessee. There's some big games. Go to GameTime.co or go download that app. Use promo code CUBE and go see what they can do for you. All right. Uh, Alabama, Texas A&M. Boy, this was a bit of a slobber knocker. It was a lot of fun. A little bit back and forth. Some wild calls as far as a penalty that took a touchdown off the board. Here's my stance on that right now. Do I think it is a... Do I think it's an offense that deserves a flag? No. Do I also think the act was dumb? Yes. You're 15 yards behind the ball. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. It doesn't matter. Um, do I like the fact that that type of a hit calls for a 15-yard penalty and takes a touchdown off the board? No, I don't. I don't love that. But I also know that it's just something that is attempting to be taken away from the game. 
And so they're going to call it, whatever it is. It's kind of like wrestling guys to the ground now. Like these offensive linemen, there's this emphasis on holding this year. If you throw a guy to the ground and the ball's anywhere near you, they're going to flag you. It's just what it, I don't know who had that conversation before the year. It's been happening for a long time and it was barely called. Now, every time it happens, they're going to call it. Doesn't matter if the play's on the other side of the field. They're going to call it every time. Just is what it is. Career day for Jalen Milrow. 21-33, 321, three touchdowns and a pick. We told you last week it was going to have to be done through the air. And coming into this game, I knew that defensive line for AM was going to be an absolute handful. I didn't know if the Alabama offensive line would be up for the challenge. They, had play, they played great the previous week, but it hadn't been great all year. Were they going to be able to withstand the waves of talent and force and speed and power that was going to come their way? By God, they did. Now, some of you are going to sit here and say, well, they had five sacks in the first half. It's true. They did. But I went back and watched those five sacks. And I didn't see many of them where a Fadil or a McKinley or a Shamar was just whipping a Tyler Booker or whipping a Seth McLaughlin or whipping a J.C. Latham. There were very few one-on-one losses by this Alabama offensive line. That is a huge statement in and of itself. Collectively, there were some losses. Yeah, there were. And there were also a sack or two where the quarterback could have gotten rid of the football, tried to move around, tried to dance a little bit, keep a play alive, and went down. It's not on the offensive line. So you knew it was going to have to be done through the air, so you knew you are probably going to take a couple of sacks, especially with a mobile quarterback. Sometimes they try to escape. It's not there. They decide to go down the wrong lane. Guy comes off his block, and he makes a play. Cool. No big deal. The majority of the pressures and the sacks that were generated by A&M were by design. They were orchestrated. They were schemed. They weren't necessarily won in an individual manner. That's really good news for Alabama. I thought J.C. Latham had maybe his best game in an Alabama uniform that I have seen. I feel like I've seen them all. I don't know. Maybe I haven't watched a certain one or two closely enough. But he got beat once inside on a run play. And it was a duo, and he he took his little step to the right, and it was a slant inside, and he didn't retract fast enough, and that individual made the play around the line of scrimmage or helped make the play. Uh, There was also another pressure to his side where they brought two off the edge. His eyes played tricks on him. He kicked out for one of the pressure guys, and the defensive end came inside of him, and he missed him. I mean, it is what it is. It happens. Like I said, his eyes played tricks on him. But – All in all, I thought that offensive line held up well. Now, did they dominate to the point where they could run the football? No, they ran 26 times for 23 yards. Wasn't enough. But the running backs ran it 12 times for 45 yards. Still not enough. But Jermaine Burton went 9 for 197 and two touchdowns. Isaiah Bond went 7 for 96 and a touchdown. Uh, So that was just going to have to be the recipe to win that game, and they did it. I thought Deontay Lawson played like his hair was on fire. Uh, he looked like a new kind of tweaked up in this game. Like he was, he was ready for battle. Um, I thought Dallas was great off the edge. I thought he affected the pocket. I thought multiple guys helped Alabama, even though he didn't get sacks, affect the pocket on a regular basis. Jamil Burroughs affected the pocket. Tim Smith affected the pocket. Boyd affected the pocket. Braswell had maybe the best game collectively that I've seen him have. Chris Braswell set the edge nice on the run. He had a couple pressures, obviously had the return that came back, but he was in the backfield a lot, doing a lot of damage. And when you get just a little bit inside and those two are humming on the edge, you got problems. 
that doesn't mean Evan Stewart didn't get a grab down the field or Moose Muhammad didn't get a catch and run or Anaya Smith didn't get a catch and run. They got, they got a few. And that team's too talented to not get some. Um, you know, and still even some of the guys on, like, I mean, no one had a, had a tackle for loss. Diggs had, I think, two sacks. Uh, Max Johnson, 14 to 25, 239, touchdown and a pick. And a very, very costly safety. We talked about some of those things and the trust factor and decision-making in crunch time, and I felt like it kind of showed up again. And that's my, that's my biggest concern. Do I feel like the plan protected him very well? Not as much as it could have. Felt like they could have moved the pocket a little bit more. Uh, where was Le'Veon Moss? Like He was the guy against Arkansas that looked like a literal chainsaw running through that defense. And he didn't start the game, and you just didn't see a ton of him. Um, so I also thought like forcing the football to Anaya Smith was something, especially from an East and West perspective, that I was going to get a little bit more of, and we didn't get it. He didn't have a rush attempt. He had four catches for 88 yards. Good. He needed more. You needed to get that defense going East and West. You needed the edge defenders to have to pay attention to those things to slow them down, and you just didn't get a lot of it. Now, A&M still had opportunities – it wasn't a clean football game by either one of these groups by any stretch of the imagination. But I was a little let down by the AM offensive line. I thought the AM skill guys played well. Um, they missed some pressures themselves, and that's on quarterback, O line, backs, tight ends. It wasn't just one guy. But that Alabama defense played really good football. Malachi played well until he went out. I thought Caleb Downs did some really nice things at safety. But that group showed up, that group was ready to play. And I thought the front is Alabama physically won this game at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And Seth McLaughlin did not play a good football game. Still snaps. Don't understand it. And there's a couple of plays. He just got out of position a couple of times blocking back a couple of times trying to combo and he just can't climb. I don't, I don't understand that regression, but you got to try to work through it. It's happening. I know they know it's happening. You just got to try to figure out a way to get through it. Uh, but that's a nice win. For Nick Saban in Alabama, 26-20 on the road. They get to 5-1, A&M 4-2. And, and watch out now for Alabama. Because I think a lot of people are just pointing ahead to that LSU game. But we know LSU, LSU's got some problems. They get a really nice win on the road. 49-39 at Mizzou. Incredible atmosphere. You heard Chris Budden say she had never seen that many people in the student section before. Uh, they had the rocks filled. I've done games in that stadium, and there's only like a handful of people in the rocks, and they almost had it completely covered. Um, this was a hell of a football game. I mean, just a hell of a football game. And Jaden Daniels was on fire again, 15 to 21, 259, three touchdowns, no picks. He, he runs 15 times. He completed 15 passes. He ran 15 times for 130 yards uh, and scored a touchdown. Some of the runs were just ridiculous. And... I, I don't I honestly there's times I'm watching that offense today on film and I'm like, how do you defend this? I really don't know, because when they decide to go downhill with Logan Diggs, who, by the way, ran 24 times for 134 yards, they can do it like they can get just enough of a push and they can they can they can get the downhill run game going. They can live there if they want to. And then you have design runs, then you have him leaving the pocket Malik Neighbors, 6 for 146 in a touchdown. How, you can't leave him alone. You can't let him get behind your defense by himself. But all of that being said, you still saw 0, 5, 6, 21, all flash for that Missouri defensive line. They all did some good things at times. It's just 
It's like we said about Harold Perkins against Ole Miss. When you play that many plays, you can flash four or five times, but you better change the game when you do because there's so many other opportunities for the offense that it's just not going to be enough. And, you know, the secondary, I thought, was a strength of this Missouri team coming in. Maybe not intercepting balls, but they never seem to be out of position. They always seem to be ready to make a play as soon as a receiver caught a ball and LSU was able to find some separation. Now, there were moments in this game, man. I mean, like, missed field goal, how you handle things before the missed field goal. Um, You know, you had, obviously, late turnovers, and you had a fourth and 32, whatever it was, and I think I would have punted, but I don't really think I'm going to second guess like what's happening right there because you weren't stopping LSU's offense. So if it's if it's me, I under, the, the one reason that I think I would have punted there is because a lot of things can go your way on a punt. Now I realize they can go against your way too, but I doubt LSU was going to come after it. You know, you can returner can can drop the punt. Somebody going down there can hit their player. Like oh, there's still things that can go your way. It can take a stupid bounce and go down inside the five, whatever. I just think there are things that can go your way. You had the timeouts. And you had a decent amount of time. But I also understand the, 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 the side of it that we're not going to stop them. Like, we're not. Um, the Perkins interception was fantastic. I don't really put that one on Brady Cook. I don't think he saw him. I don't think he expected him to drop. I thought Cook threw some really nice balls. I thought the plan from Kirby Moore was exceptional. He knew when to get the ball out on time, and he did it in an accurate fashion. I mean, he had a couple more balls down the field that either were dropped or he barely overthrew. But I was glad to see him be aggressive and take those shots because they were he needed to do that. The stretch play was going for Missouri early. They had the outside zone going. Cody Schrader, 13 carries, 114 yards, three touchdowns. Like he was getting that thing up in there. And there wasn't a ton of disruption from that LSU front. They just they they had it going. I love the formations. I love the motions, the movement to be able to create matchups. Luther Burden goes crazy again. 149 receiving yards on 11 catches. It's just it came down to a couple big plays and a couple coaching decisions late that cost you. And let's be real, some of that were LSU players making plays. I mean, Harold Perkins also had another tip ball over on the left inside the left hash later in the game that not a lot of people are talking about. Obviously, you had a big strip sack late in the game. Like the pass protection was great leading up to that. It was great. Like Brady Cook had a ton of time. Until you absolutely had to have it, and then you didn't. That was a big letdown. But those few plays against a team that's more talented than you, that is having success at least on one side of the ball as well, you can't make those. It's kind of like Kentucky. Like You can't miss throws, drop passes, and not pick up pressures and go 2 of 11 on third down and expect to beat the best team in the country on the road. Now, I know Missouri was at home, and they had some advantages there. But there were a lot of moments in this game where it felt like that thing could have been pushed either way. And the majority of those, especially after halftime, went to LSU. But they fought hard, man. The the Missouri kids played their rear ends off. I thought Brady Cook played an exceptional game. He looked confident. He looked poised. He didn't look to pull the ball down and run early. Um, Schrader ran hard. The offensive line played pretty well. They were a little bit more consistent than they had been. Like I said, protection was fantastic up until the end of the game. And he had a couple that broke down. So I think, I think this Kentucky-Missouri game this weekend is going to be awesome because I want to know where these two teams are going. And one of them is going to get this win and have a chance to, to keep going and maybe do some really special things. Um, 
sets up for a nice one. LSU now four and two, Missouri now five and one. Um, Florida takes out Vanderbilt 38-14. A little bit of a workmanlike performance for Florida. Um, here's the thing with the Florida plan you guys need to understand. When the main, when the core of the offense is working, it's all going to be smooth. When you take a piece of it out and it's just not that piece is not working, whether it's protection or the stretch play or whatever, the other stuff's not going to work. Like they're not a very good team to where they can say, okay, let's go two minute offense. You know what? Let's the our two tight end, 12 personnel's not working. Let's go four or five wide and try to spread this thing out and quick distribute. Like they can't do that. They're just not built that way. Like it all, it's all married up. It all feeds together. It's all kind of intertwined. But where it starts is the run game, and the run game was going. We got a freshman center in the game who I thought did some really nice things. Um you got a tight end who's young, who's coming on. Arlis Bordington, uh, we've talked about him a couple weeks ago. Saw him blocking a little bit. Saw how athletic he looked. Excited about him. I think he's somebody who can help this team. Seven catches, 99 yards. But the thing that we need to talk about is Montreal Johnson. 18 carries, 135 yards. Three catches, 25 yards. This guy's got to start getting some real discussion as one of the best backs in the league. And I'm not. you don't need to put him above Quinshawn or Rocket. But we just need to be talking about him as one of the best backs in the league because he is so good at having patience, utilizing his vision, putting a foot in the ground, and getting north and south. And then he runs hard. Like, he runs angry. When he puts that foot in the down and gets north and south, you don't want much of that. And then the, then the play action comes. Then the quick throws from Graham Mertz comes. Then the usage at the tight ends comes, either down the seams or out in the flat. Uh, Pierce Saul made a couple of good catches. 22 had a couple of good grabs. Like these receivers were helping Graham Mertz in this game. Now, he, most of the balls he threw were pretty accurate, but they also helped him in this game. Some catch and run stuff. Um, and I, just, I think he's having a little bit better year than people give him credit for. 30 of 36, 254, three touchdowns, no picks. I liked the way that Graham Mertz sort of just operated all of it. I thought he did a good job with that. And because of that, this offense got going and – the Florida defense was pretty good. Princely was pretty good off the edge. A couple of guys inside did a good job. Uh, number three is getting crucified for the play to Will Shepard down the sideline. I did like the fact that Vanderbilt seemingly forced the ball to Will Shepard. He had three for 107. He needs more. He's just that good. He's dynamic. Um, but this kid number three on the, on the jump ball to Shepard where he's like looking around and he doesn't know what to do. I don't know what angle everybody has. I saw the one that was, that was tweeted out. And I don't need. I'm never going to defend shitty effort. I'm not. But I watched it a couple times. When Shepard comes off the ball, his hand goes in the face mask, and it it pulls his face mask, his his helmet down. I don't know if he got poked in the eye. I don't know if it moved his helmet to where like pulled it down where he couldn't see. Does he need to regroup and chase the ball carrier down the field? Yes, he does. But. I don't believe that it was this giant loaf, like I don't give a rip play that a lot of other people are saying that it is. I got no reason to defend this kid. I, I can't even remember his name. It was number three, corner for Florida. But my point is, on film, it, it did not look as egregious as it did when I first saw it on social media. I just want to share that. Also, two or three plays later, kid makes a great play on a slant and bats it down on the same receiver. So he obviously hadn't given up in the game and hadn't thrown in the towel on the game because he made a couple of plays as the game went on. Number two had a pretty good game at corner for Florida also. Um, so I thought the defense played pretty fast. Uh, Vanderbilt's offensive line still just really struggles. Ken Seals, 19-34. Uh, they had 64 yards rushing. 
did not think they did as good of a job getting the ball in the hands of their speedy specialty guys uh, or skill guys as, as, as they had the last couple of weeks. And yeah, that sometimes that was on jet orbit motions. It was on screens, quick throws, push pass, whatever. I didn't think they did as good a job with that this week. I thought that was some, an area that they struggled in a little bit. They brought a lot of guys into the box. They tried to widen that surface a little bit. And still, I almost think it worked to Florida's favor because instead of stacking a lot of guys behind one another, they kind of widened them all out. And then it just opened up cutback lanes for that stretch play. And Florida just had a lot of success with it. So, you know, it was one, it was, it was a little bit tough to kind of see how that thing went and how that thing played out that way. But um, I do think the Vanderbilt kids are still playing hard. Like they're still flying around on defense, they're trying to get off blocks. Uh, they're just a little bit outmanned right now, and it's going to take a long time to build it, but um, they got some good skill, and they got some guys that are playing hard. I mean, 215 to 64, they were outrushed. Like, that's – you can't be competitive in SEC games like that. All right, uh, finally, we had Western Michigan and Mississippi State. Uh, before we get to that, I got to tell you guys um, about some life insurance, fabric life insurance. Uh, a guy who works on my, my TV crew – uh, he and I were kind of talking about this because of some relatives and some things that we have that they're going through. And this is just something that I think it's important for all of us. You don't want to wait. Um, you know, you want to think about, we were talking about our kids and we don't want our kids to be in certain situations and have to deal with certain things. And, you know, things can happen quickly. You know, I, a lot of times you hear life insurance ads on the radio when you're a kid and you think like, I'm never going to need that. It's not going to be important for me. That's for my parents to worry about. Well, now you're the parent and it's time to get life insurance and help protect your family and your children. I've had to learn a lot of new skills to help provide for my family, how to do, you know, whether it's laundry, clean, different jobs, read and react, AL.com, Cube Show, McElroy and Cubic in the morning. But one thing that I do know is that uh, the financial solutions to where a catastrophe could strike down the road. I, I want everybody else to have answers for those. So now you got financial solutions in one easy online hub. It's really simple. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. You can get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule you could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes, guys. This is easy. And think about where you need to be with your family, with your children, with your wife. With no health exam required, not sure if life insurance is right for you, take Fabric's quick 60-second quiz to find out. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Fabric is partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years. With over 1,700 five-star reviews, they're rated as excellent on Trustpilot. And Fabric has... More than just life insurance, their easy digital platform also lets you create wills, access college saving funds, and manage your family's finances right from your phone so your family is prepared for everything. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cube, C-U-B-E. That's meetfabric.com slash cube, C-U-B-E, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash C-U-B-E. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Uh, speaking of health questions, a big question now with Will Rogers. And uh, I don't have details on exactly what happened. I saw him leave the game. Uh, I saw him come out after the game trying to shake hands. 
Uh, it looked like it was his left arm, having trouble kind of moving it around. Uh, he goes 16 to 22, 189 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. The intermediate stuff was great. Like the quick throws, the quick game was humming for Mississippi State. The stretch play was going early, and multiple backs had a good feel for when to cut that ball north and south or when to bounce that ball outside, and it just felt comfortable in the run game. It felt like that offensive line was kind of in rhythm. I thought the center had a really nice game. I thought you got some extra blocking from some of your bonus bigs, and they did a good job kind of helping out. Defensively, uh, Pickering had a pretty good day up front. Um, I thought the linebackers did an excellent job with their pressures. Now, most of that came in the A-gaps, so they're kind of using it as run pressures, sort of a run fit. But when they came through, like, they caused problems. Now, I know a lot of people are probably looking at the 28 points. You had a couple catch and runs. You had two balls over the top. I get it. The coverage is going to be an issue. Like, they're just going to have to work through that. Uh, they're young in the secondary. You lost a ton of snaps from a year ago. Those guys are just going to continue to have to grow. And I thought they did a good job kind of dialing some things up to be able to shoot some balls down the field. And one was a contested catch in the end zone. It's, it's going to happen. Do, should you feel great about it? No, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, Mike Wright comes in 7 to 10, uh, 57 yards. He got to throw it around a little bit, so good to see that. Um, he obviously brings a different dynamic to the offense. I think he can be helpful down the stretch, especially now not knowing the situation uh, with Will Rogers and exactly what's going to happen there. So that's, that's definitely one that we got to keep an eye on. And, and definitely one that we're going to have to look at and, and try to figure out exactly where he is moving forward. We're going to talk quickly about some of those other games that are coming up this weekend. But first, uh, I want to tell you guys about Factor. America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up for a fast breakfast, lunch, or dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door. You're going to save time, you're going to eat well, and you're going to stay on track for your nutritional needs with Factor. If you're too busy to cook this fall, I know I am, uh, but you want to make sure you're eating well with Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Then you get back to crushing your goals. Adjust your stride this autumn without missing a step. Choose from 35 or more weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that promote a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences all ready to eat in less than two minutes. If you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best as you tackle a busy autumn, try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more in each serving. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 or more add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Choose from breakfast items like delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet, or for any wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Just right now, head to factormeals.com slash cube50 that's factormeals.com slash C-U-B-E-5-0 and use code CUBE50 to get 50% off. That's code CUBE50 at factormeals.com slash CUBE50 to get 50% off. All right, quick preview of what we've got coming up this weekend. I mentioned I'm going to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Remember, Wednesday night, uh, UTEP at FIU. Uh, if you want to check that one out, uh, I will be on the call for that one with John Schriffen. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun to get down to Miami, call a game on a Wednesday night, ESPN2 at 7.30 Eastern. 
All right, uh, so what do we have coming up in the SEC this weekend? Missouri-Kentucky. I think this is a massive game as far as a fork in the road. Who can find a way to get back on track right now and maybe build extra momentum to head in and try to finish the season strong? I think they're very similar football teams. I think they match up really well. Brady Cook's playing better at quarterback. So to be honest with you, right this second, I would give the advantage to Missouri. Point blank. Devin Lear's got to find his way. Uh, you got an active group of linebackers. You got a defensive line that can be disruptive. That should be enough to slow Ray Davis down a smidge. And then if Luther Burden gets going, watch out. But it's going to be a heck of a game because Kroger Field's going to be hopping. I know that atmosphere is going to be good for that one. Um, Auburn at LSU. I'm anxious to see after two weeks what can happen with the Auburn quarterback situation. Auburn has played hard defensively this year. They've been problematic this year. Secondary has played really good ball. Think about what they did to Georgia a couple weeks ago. Um, limited the AM passing attack for the majority of that game. Not great at getting after the quarterback all the time, but the secondary is pretty good in coverage. Can they get anything from their quarterback to take advantage of a defense that's given up chunks and chunks and chunks of yards recently? I don't know, but I'll be interested to see it. And we know, kind of a swan song here for this game, Earthquake game, uh, the barn burning game, cigar game, Jamie Howard interception game, uh, you know, the obviously the winning streak for LSU at home. This thing's just been bonkers for so long. I love this game so much. I hate that it's not on the schedule next year. Um, but Auburn's got to find a way to slow down Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, and Logan Diggs and company, and that's going to be a tough task. Georgia should be fine at Vanderbilt. Um, Arkansas at Alabama. This is not a good matchup for Arkansas. Um, I love Sam Pittman. I don't want anything to happen to Sam Pittman. I love Travis Williams. Um, I, I, I love KJ Jefferson. Like I, I just I love a lot of what that program stands for under Sam, but they're staring down the barrel of, of some things that I know what people are already talking about that is going to be difficult to overcome. So they just got to find some life against this team, find a way to manage that front offensively, which that's with the way that offensive line's played, going to be tough. Uh, and then defensively, just find a way to bottle up Jalen Milrow. And now you look like you have a receiving core that has their has their way, and, and we'll see how that one goes. A&M at Tennessee. This one's going to be fun. The battle of two of the best defensive lines in the league. Keep in mind, Tennessee has multiple edge defenders that can absolutely rip. I would be very concerned if I were the A&M tackles. Good news is you have Max Wright, you have Johnson, you have a couple tight ends that can help. Got a fullback in Crownover who could potentially help. I don't want that guy chipping me. That's for damn sure. He'll chip your arm off. Um, but AM's gonna have to figure out a way to neutralize that defensive line, specifically out on the edges, because we've talked about Max Johnson protecting the football. This is a group that could get it back. And then now, with two weeks rest, Cooper Mays back in at center. That offensive line looked better last week. Three-headed monster at running back. Dante Thornton should be closer to being healthy and being back off that hamstring. Tennessee at home. Florida's at South Carolina. Um, that game is at 2.30. So South Carolina, not a completely different team like they would be at night, but they're a different team at home. Can they get that stretch play going against that group? You're going to play a freshman center against TJ Sanders and Tonka Hemingway and Boogie Huntley? That could be a problem. Um, it's a pretty good South Carolina secondary when they're not biting down on the run like they were against Mississippi State. Uh, I think the matchup there is... Austin Armstrong is going to come after you. Spencer Rattler, when given time, can be very effective. But you got your slot receiver back last week before you had a week off. Juice Wells, I don't know the status. I don't know what's going on. Are we going to see him back this year? We'll see. Uh, I think that could be a really interesting game in Columbia. Um, 
So it's a good slate. It's a good SEC slate next week. I'm excited about it. You should be excited about it. I still think we have a lot of questions to be answered, but it clearly looks like Alabama and Georgia are in the driver's seat now. Because you need Alabama to lose two games, and I just don't see that happening. Not with the way that defense is playing right now. Please go subscribe at you, uh, on YouTube at CubeShow61. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube right now, just click like Josh Pate tells you to the like button. Clip subscribe right now. We just went over 6,000, which is more than I ever thought that we would get because I really don't feel like people are interested in what I say. Um, at Cube Show on Twitter, at Cube Show on Instagram. Please follow us there and uh, tell your friends about us because we're going to be reviewing SEC games each and every Sunday, no matter what. I have the same schedule next week, so it's probably going to be tough to get it out on Sunday. I got a Wednesday night game in UTEP next week. So we'll be doing this again on repeat, and we just won't be sleeping. But we will be here for you to try to deliver college football information, specifically from around the Southeastern Conference. Before I go, here are my three big takeaways from the weekend. All right, and this is not just the Southeastern Conference. This is college football. One, clock management situational awareness is worse than it's ever been. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know how. I don't know why. Tackling is still at an all-time high. I think we got there like two years ago, and we've never, we've never come down. It's, it's still just atrocious. It's really bad. Um, and someone's going to have to figure out how to defend quarterback run. And I'm not talking about design quarterback run. Like, those are one thing. You add a blocker. Like, you run quarterback power. You know you have the numbers. I'm talking about quarterbacks leaving the pocket. The early window, Dylan Gabriel, massive runs leaving the pocket late in that game to help his team win. We talked about Jaden Daniels and what he did. Brady Cook did it once or twice. K.J. Jefferson did it. Jackson Dart did it. Like, someone is going to have to come up with a plan to neutralize these quarterbacks leaving the pocket because they are terrorizing defenses everywhere. Those are just my three big takeaways from the weekend. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be back next week. Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.